welcome everybody to another wonderful episode of the mighty not safe for wonks talking to you right now is brandon buchanan i'm kennedy cooper leia rose and a couple weeks ago, we had one of our best episodes. We had an interview with the wonderful, lovely, and talented Howie Hawkins. He came onto the show and we chopped it up for a while. But as we were doing the interview and afterwards, we kind of thought about it. And a lot of people do not know that the Green Party has a nominating process. You see somebody like Dr. Jill Stein come up in the fall and you just assume that she walked into the room and everybody got the Holy Ghost and raised their hands up and she just came in by acclamation. And that is not true. The Green Party has a process just like every other major political party has a process of nomination. So we wanted to show you a diversity of views in that party. Because as we said, when we talked Howie, we think the Green Party represents the diversity of the American left in a lot of ways. So one of the first people that we looked to was Miss Ayape Sudanam Kinamu Christian Moyo Asipe Curry. She graciously accepted our offer. Welcome, Ayape, to the show. We're happy to have you. Let's chop it up. Awesome. Yeah. By the way, I wasn't going to play with your name. You're a public figure. <laughs> you did right, brother. He's SKCM Curry on Twitter. And Facebook, Sudanam 2020. Yeah. So we're going to go on a little journey here today. And I guess we should probably start with your own personal journey into Green Party politics and the American left. I am kind of aware that you started out as a member of the Democratic Party. So can you let people know, like, because a lot of people are in that same place right now. I think most of us are kind of basically there, too. So can you talk about, like, how you came up through the Democrats and what made you decide to get into politics as a whole? Okay, well, three things. First, I want to welcome and thank you all for making it important to hear other voices. Without that, our nation will not grow to be 300 in like 50 years. So I, I applaud all of you for stepping up to be heard and to let other folks hear. So I, I first wanted to thank you for that. I'm going to say my name, my full name mm -hmm. is Ayape. Sudanam Fatima Kinamu Christian Moywasife Curry. And I think it's really important that everyone understand that everyone should have five names, who your mother and father come from, who their grandparents are, and then their great-great-grandparents. Because when you have four generations, you understand how you got to America, who you are in America, and what the impact of you being American is. Mm-hmm. One of the hugest issues is that folks pretend to be native to this country using the word American. I'm fortunate that I, I am of native blood. I am of black blood. I'm of Haitian blood. And yes, I'm of European. So I represent four different ethnic groups. So I got to be me because I'm aware of my four different ethnic groups and my role in ensuring that the blood, sweat, and tear that all the, you know, 400 years before me folk had to deal with, I represent it because I'm who they fought for. And I take that honor and the privilege and the duty to speak up and be up like you have. You know, y'all come on your journey to get here too. So mine's is probably a little different only because of age. I'm 57 and proud. So how I got here, knowing my history, my backstory, both my parents' backstory, my grandfather on my dad's side purchased my grandmother for $300. So I understand the enslavement of Black people probably like anyone else. That's my great-great-grandfather. My grandfather was shot and killed by the Klan because his daughter wanted to go to college and the folks around who were low-income and low-IQ European DNA Americans didn't understand how this Black girl had the, the gall to go to college. So those Three stories are significant to understanding why I am a bold Black woman, has no issue with speaking the truth to anyone because I was purchased, blood and sweat made me who I am. So the other thing is that my parents are Pan-African. So I've been connected to the continent, Akibulan, before I was born. They had a clear understanding of the role Akibulan that Africa played in the development of the entire planet. We're all Black. So mm -hmm. I say brother and sister to everyone because yeah. I look at you. I see you as black. I don't care what you see yourself. <laughs> okay. That's my inside joke. So when I call you brother, I'm calling you black brother. I don't care what your pigment is. <laughs> come on, laugh yeah. for a minute with me. Laugh, come on, come on. <laughs> no, that's great. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just to, to round it up back to the Democrat, because you did ask me about that. Yes. Of course. The great grandparents were Republicans. They, y'all, you know, they were the party of Lincoln back 161 years ago. There's a renegade group who pushed and got Abraham Lincoln president. So outside forces have always moved our nation. So I understood that being outside was important to push whoever we want. So that's my same approach with the Green Party. Bam, I'm in Ghana, West Africa, working, living, playing. And I was active in Democrats abroad and pushed because of Al Gore, what I I thought had the same heart, mind, and conviction to the planet that I did. My parents had voted for Ralph Nader, had been Nader Raiders, and I, you know, thinking I'm smart, told them, well, look, I think we should like help help Al Gore because he cares about the planet. Yeah, I'm holding my nose with Lieberman, but he's going to help the planet. And you know, they're older and wiser and they just looked at me and said, and guess what happened? The Chads in Florida, but I'm in Ghana. So I'm calling everybody, use my own money to let them know that this is a setup. Al has to go, you know, doing all this and no one listened. Mm. So I had to Mm -hmm. ask myself a critical question. I was 40 years old. What's really different between myself and Al Gore? And it was a wake up call. It was the gray rhino. I had to accept that though I have a level of privilege being from solid, you know, a background, uh, no drugs, no alcohol, no drama, you know, the typical thing they try to, you know, hold black folk and poor folks with. That wasn't the case. I've traveled. I own my own business, liberated, you know, in my own mind. And then it hit me. I'm not privileged. Mm. Al Gore, that Mm -hmm. wealth, that male, mental, European DNA mindset, he looked at his privilege was quite different than what I saw myself as. That was probably the biggest wake up call I had, you know, at age 40, by 40. And it was like slap, wake up, stand up, what you gonna do? I looked around and saw that it was corporate money that was his motivation, not mine. So I had to decide, I'm not working for anyone who takes corporate money. And so, no, of course, I looked around. I didn't have to look too far because, you know, my parents had been basically green their whole lives. And I I just had to accept that the Green Party is where I want to be. But, oh, my God. Mm. These people, they they don't got it together. And I'm going to have to get with them (laughs) so they get it. And so I knew coming in in 2002 that it was up to me and whoever else I can find because it's not a perfect party. And unless we deal with isms and set up a secession plan like you do with business, that because of the aging population of the Greens, that we were going to be irrelevant. So I, I made that decision. And I'm so fortunate because on this 18 year path, I've met Greens who care as much and even some more than me about moving the needle towards saving our planet and being ambassadors of the change we seek. So Mm -hmm. I'm so happy, even though I knew it was drama, I wasn't afraid to step in because I've been rewarded with loving friendships, committed comrades, and integrity that I value. It's my life is a good life because of the greens I've met over the last 18 years. It's hard now, don't get me wrong. (laughs) And there's a lot of folks with different views, but I feel safe as a black woman of color to speak truth. Mm. We were going to say like when people of color join movements that are to the left of the Democratic Party, they frequently find themselves in a room and the room is like 90% white people. So what were your like initial feelings about being in those kind of rooms? And was it maybe not like outwardly bigoted, but like, did they try too hard to be nice to you? Did you have awkwardness where there are personal interactions, not even like in your interactions with Dr. Stein uh, and her movement, but just in your regular ground level organizing with the Greens? How was it? Were there initial frictions or cultural misunderstandings or anything like that? You've got to accept that I was 40 years old when I joined Mm -hmm. the Green. So I'm a bold, (laughs) sophisticated, 
confident woman. So I didn't give a crap about anybody. What they That's their stuff. The only enemy I have is me. So I didn't have any expectations on anyone. I was fortunate because I'm one of 26 children. So I, I'm the true socialist because I lived it my whole life. So I can look around the room and tell you who's a, who's whatever. I don't have any illusions or delusions about who people are. And it's been fortunate because I will not be used by anybody. White, pink, purple, green, black, male, just my thing on Facebook is unfuckable with. You can't fuck with me. I, I just, you know, I come in yeah. with oh. <laughs> I, I, look, you're going to laugh, see. There, there's a your brother just tried to throw the rap on me, like, I think about a week ago. And I just said, boo, come on now. Can you do 365 positions? He was stunned. I, like, I'm a grown-ass woman, you know. I ain't training nobody. Move. Like, come on, you can be my brother and my sister, but about the love, you got to come with it. <laughs> <laughs> if you start a show and you need some co-hosts, you know who to call. <laughs> My rule in life is to have fun and it can get me in trouble because I'm that bold with everything. If it's not going to be good for me, I ain't in it. Yeah. It's a great way to, you know, live, live life. And yeah. Makes sense to me. <laughs> I didn't need any preparation. There's a couple of folks that I tried to share with women, European women that he is going to do A, B, and C. So why don't you do D, E, and F? And they didn't listen. So I just, you know, moved to the side. This has happened at least four times. And they, that person, that male, European, acted a fool. And I'm not on the stage with them. And once it's over with, I come and walk on. And the, the sisters look at me like, how did you know, dude, I got 13 brothers. And they're not like that. I have uncles. I have a father. I have a grandfather. And so my understanding of manhood is different than what I'm seeing here. So I had a, a bar to live by. And when men don't meet those bars, I let them do them and move to the side until they finish. I've called several black men in their ear. You coon. Why would you stand behind this woman that you're smarter than? I, you know, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm from the sixties. So I don't, I don't have that need to coon. I don't have it. it it's not even, I don't even know you're supposed to do that. You know, I, I wore Afro in elementary school. My mother, I've never seen my mother with straight or perved hair or fingernail polish. You know, so like the first time I even knew about the drama with hair was Chris Rocks. It was like a, I don't know if it was a documentary or a movie about good hair. Hell, I, I remember I that. Had good hair. My hair has been thick and natural my whole life. And when I did let it get straight, people were always coming up to me, your hair. And so I cut it off. Like, I don't be all into my hair. Like, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> uh, my skin color. You know, bro, oh, you so, nah, boy. You want to see fine? Look at these four, my sisters, they Amazon. So I never bought into the light skin, dark skin, because everybody around me was beautiful chocolate and I wanted to look like them. It's taken me years to accept that I'm beautiful with my caramel color. Because, you know, again, being raised by beautiful dark skin chocolate folk, you know, they're my idols and my people I look up to. So it's taken me a long time to even accept my level of beauty with a caramel color. So I'm the, I was laughing. I'm the opposite of most folk, I guess. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you ran for president in 2016. Yes. So how did those experiences match up with how you got treated in 2016? And in fact, let people know how you got treated in 2016. Let's backtrack a little bit. How did that go? And like, what did you learn from that experience? Well, th this is the thing. I've been running to be the president of the U.S. since I was three years old. My parents, <laughs> I think they wished it mm. on me in the womb. I can even remember at three talking to my dad, you know, because of Shirley Chisholm, all these Black women who, you know, my family always honored and appreciated because they wanted to leave the nation, unbought, unsold. So what happened was when you're running for president since you're three years old, you know that it takes five million people to vote for you. So I'm nice to everybody. My father told me, greet everyone, say thank you know, all that stuff, you know, you're to do to be courteous. So I have to step back one more time. And it was with David Cobb and Peter Camejo. I was at, mm. I think it was in Wisconsin. They had some drama yeah. on the stage. And I said, I'm not here fighting to make the world better. And y'all gonna mess this up. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
So look what happened to me. I'm like, hell, we need a black woman. So I looked around to see who would be the best woman to run after David Cobb. And guess where I landed? Cynthia McKinney. Mm, she's right next to my district, actually. Listen, so you might have to talk to her because look what happened. I didn't know her. You know, mm -hmm. you do the network outreach. I did all that. But she, you know, don't know me from Adam. And what happened was she wound up stepping off our ballot line in 2008. I decided to run for vice president to make her way clear. Do you hear me? Yeah. She don't yeah. know me. These folk don't know how to help black women. I got to do it. So look what happened. She listened to the European DNA and she kindly stepped off our ballot line. So what happened was I sat in my South Central little apartment and I started coordinating for her to come and accept my and get back on our ballot line. And she did. I never showed up. I'm a strategist. She left me a mm -hmm. voicemail because she couldn't figure out who had done it. And it was me. <laughs> The soul sister who you don't even know. Because if I didn't honor you, Lenore Fulani, who am I going to be if I don't honor folks who have come before me? So, bam, left yeah. me a mess. Cool. I ran into her a couple of times, you know, on the campaign trail because I'm running for VP. And I'm basically the campaign manager for our whole team. Howie Hawkins would show up and represent Ralph Nader. And we didn't have a problem with that. Dr. Kent Mesplay, case with Jesse Johnson. Mesplay then was a Californian. He inspired me to run. Kate Swift was from Texas and Jesse Johnson was from West Virginia. It was the most powerful experience and what I knew the Green Party needed to run as a unity ticket. Cynthia, I give her that credit. She was as honorable and respectful of all the candidates. So she raised the bar. Look what happened. Of course, she won the nominee. She brought on Rosa Clemente. And then the folk would not be her campaign manager. So guess who did? Me. Let's see. Maybe, yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> when you bite off something, you don't know you're going to have to swallow it, spit it up, and package it again. But I did it at a sacrifice to my life. But it taught me, oh my, I can't even tell you. I could help anybody run for president. It was just, it was incredible. So now, 2008, Dr. Stein starts off with this bogus title, presumptive nominee. I'm like, what? So I'm outreaching to her. I'm a woman. And of course, Hillary Clinton was running. So I didn't think it was a bad thing for her to win, but she did it dishonorably and ungreen. So mm. what I decided to do, because I saw, you know, I've been black how many years, you know? So I know what happens when people are manipulated and producers of racist ideals as opposed to consumer. So there were people were consuming her stuff. And the reality was, one, she'll be a better face for the Green Party because of Hillary Clinton, who I knew was going to cheat and win. Again, mm -hmm. I've been a politician since I was three years old. So I made it a fundamental decision that, OK, I'm going to run to ask critical questions, to perfect myself and our campaign and be obscure because in obscurity, you can test the waters without being hit. Right. So I did it. Mm -hmm. And I used to tease her. She's my jewelry. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm an old soul. So I'm not affected by other people because one, she's definitely not more intellectual, articulate, or seasoned as I am. And I'll, I'll reach to her so that I can help her be better. There are millions of folks in the last 50 years that I've helped with, I'm a PR person. I can stand up anywhere and get a crowd. I sing jazz and blues. I'm an entertainer. So unless you have those skills, mm -hmm. you can't move me or we'd be up there together having a good time. So I knew she was not my equal. And I, you know, you just kind of go along to get along. And I think if you saw, I asked one question, does white privilege exist in our party. 800 people said yes. I dropped the mic and sat down. What else? As long as y'all know. God damn. You know, as long as you know. And then they didn't want brother Elijah, young black man. You know, not, you know, young. You know, that's the operative word. Yeah. He's about Leah's age. They're like the same age. Yeah, but if we don't help folk grow, what are we doing? So I put me on the line to make sure he got the stage and the mic. Because then, you know, they can't move me. I can, the whole crowd, if I start singing, 
Hey, hey, they go follow me, paint the White House gray. I know who I am. <laughs> I know my power. So I pulled it off and he was able to get up there, you know, have his day in the sun and it was fine by me. So I, like the rest of the world, have experienced racist ideas and privilege that does not stop me because... I know unless our party becomes an anti-racist party, all the others intersections, all the isms won't end. So that's what I'm fighting for. And that's what our candidacy is about. Ending all the isms. Yeah, it's going to take time and we have to be careful and we have to be proper and we can't wait to the last minute. We have to like rethink how America's going to be at 300. And in this current dispensation, I'm the only one who's thinking, shepherding, planning, designing, and pulling folks together for that mission. So I don't see anyone as a competition. How we need to go sit down somewhere. It's ridiculous. He's been allowed to only be the only one in the room at several green state party things. Now, twice over the last six months, candidates have got together and, you know, we're green. So we write a letter and release it to everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we are green. And then when you when you commit to doing something, it's a hardship and it's sacrifice. And we've been able to move him to get on a monthly call so he can hear it directly from us. But two of our candidates, Dario Hunter and Ian, haven't been on the call. So maybe me saying their name would make them get on the next call. It, you you got to call folk out. So I've challenged both Howie and Dario because now they have this fake recognized candidate. It, it's, it's so silly. It's so racist. And now it's sexist that, you know, they're not putting everybody's picture on the website. Oh, it's just so silly. But guess who can get a mic? Me. Because I, you know, that that's what I know how to do. So I'm not concerned. And our campaign is taking its time with everything. Did that sum up what happened in 2008 and 16? I, th- I think so. And what's going on in 2020? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that, that kind of pulls me into um, another kind of question. Yeah. Definitely there, there was a feeling that, and you expressed this, that the field was kind of being cleared for Jill in 2016, that she was kind of being shuffled into the position of nominee. Do you feel that that's happening again uh, in the Green Party for the 2020 nomination? Let's be real clear. As I told you, it made sense to me because Hillary was wanting that Dr. Stein be there. So I did not pull me out the bag. Do you hear me? Yeah, yeah. It ain't happening now, buddy. Even if I have to take it legal. Hear me, Howie? Even if it's going legal, it ain't working. This is not 2016. This is the 400th year of the return for Black folk to Ghana. This marks 400 years. So who better than an educated, articulate degree in Black studies who's lived in Africa to talk about reparation? Me. Yeah. Is your paperwork filed for 2020 with the FEC and all that other legal stuff? It was filed before. Again, I didn't care what they were saying before. You know, folk come up with some stupid SHIT, but I'm a farmer, so I know how to compost. I'm a a fourth generation farmer. (laughs) So it does, does not affect me. The more of it, the better for my crops. Yes or no? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So keep piling it on, Dr. Stein. How we Dario? Who is making some excellent compost from yours? You have spoken in the past that the Green Party needs to run exclusively women of color for the next 20 years. I agree. If I'm not mistaken, is that correct? Yes. So tell us about what kind of impact that would have on the Green Party and on the American left as a whole. If that were something that the membership of the Green Party all said, yeah, we need to do that. The nation would change for the better. We have not had women, strong women leadership. And look what's going on now. They are priming Stacey Adams to be a VP. Why? They get it. What about the other four women that have been dismissed of color who are speaking truth to these folks? That's the future. By the end of this decade, it's a brown America. And as I said earlier, unless our party gets it, that we have to have a secession plan because why? One, we're aging. I'm 
Oh, hell, I'm 57. Two, capitalism. Capitalism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's messed up. But here's the thing. People truly don't understand ecological economics. That's the second thing. Mm-hmm. Poor Howie is jumping on eco-socialism. Guess who made that happen? Helped to make it happen in 2016. Me. I facilitated the workshops, set up the Facebook page, kept it rolling. But I've moved beyond eco-socialism to green system change. You can't say stuck. There's so much knowledge. A dear friend of mine is working on the theory of how the banking and our capitalist economic system is impacting the environment. He's going to be applying for a PhD. We're working with him to like give the comparison to why this Green New Deal is dangerous. A green or a blue deal is dangerous if there's no system change. If we don't change how Mm. we do things, we're still going to be extinct. It, it just, you, you got to have the tough conversations about our system, our economic system, and our campaign push ecological economics. So that's one, two. Mm. The, you know, I did mention about the demographics are changing. If there's no one of color in place to keep our nation moving, just like colonization, when the French left those nations on the continent, they collapsed. You have to have administrative management, leadership, train in order not to drop anything. Wouldn't you agree that those three things are important for our nation before we're 300 years of age? 300 is a very good age to make it to. Ken, you want to ask something? Well, I wouldn't mind asking a little bit more about reparations in particular, because that's a issue that we're very into as a podcast. We're very pro reparations. And it's a very, it's, it's a funny issue because it's a very sensitive issue. So I would kind of like to hear from you what does reparations look like to you in 2019? Because it probably doesn't look like literally 40 acres and a mule. It's three things I can just sum it up. You got to accept that reparations have been paid. There's 120, I can send you the diagram, 120 years that reparations were paid to the folks who enslaved people, to Japanese, to Native Americans. You know, the list, you can say it. For me, it's not the trajectory of making reparations Pairs for the sins and the wrong against humanity. It's much like a needed policy for our government to embrace. The other thing is, it is a check and it is money and it is affirmative action and it is honesty. Mm-hmm. I don't see it any more complicated than that. Look what happened. Redlining, Jim Crow, stop and frisk, broken window, tax seizure, sharecropping, military draft, lynching, restrictive covenants, tipped wages, segregation, wage theft. All those things have harmed Black business. Yeah. And that was because of government. So we've never had the dream. It's been a damn nightmare for us. Though, without the enslavement of Black folk, America would not be a powerhouse today. Europe would not be a powerhouse. So for me, the bigger thing is, you know, I talk about the doctrine of discovery. So Europe as well owes reparation to the world. So I'm probably the only one that Mm -hmm. talks about this being bigger than the U.S. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) The Berlin Conference where America was present carved up Akibulan. So this, my discussion goes beyond everybody. Hell, I am degreed in Black Studies. I mean, come on. And I've lived on the continent. I have a a 31-year relationship. Think about it. My 26-year-old self went to an undemocratic nation, a revolutionary government in 1988 to volunteer. So no one who's running, who has ever run for our nomination has my criteria or my credentials to lead at this time. Mm. Let's all be real clear. Let's be real clear. You know, I had not been so open and bold because it wasn't necessary. But boo is on now. I'm I'm hot. <laughs> Yeah, we need it. We need it now. Yeah, and failure, failure for the 115th Congress to pass this legislation, HR 40, Mm -hmm. be the end of our nation as we know it. Because this payment is past due, and they have to move legally towards social parity. We cannot wait until economic parity has become so large that the revolution in the streets becomes the only answer. It's just yes. ridiculous. That's how come me, Fatima Sudanab Kinamu Christian Moyuasifi Kari, 
fourth generation black farmer has to be our nominee. No one can articulate yes. nor understand what we need. This brother might want to uh, give me some shares in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Ibrahim X. Kendi. I walk around with that book, <laughs> his book. Yeah, we're going to put that directly in our show notes after like when people download the show, yes. it'll take them right to that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for people who are viewing the show who are not educated on the issue, H.R. 40 is not a reparations bill. H.R. 40 is reparations research. So this is stage one. So even if you don't know everything about reparations and you just want more data about it, that is basically what HR 40 is. It's just data acquisition. Yeah, there's really you should really be in favor of it. Like even if you're (laughs) still questioning the issue of reparations within yourself, for whatever reason, you should be in favor of this bill because this is going to give us the data that we need to move on forward. Yeah. Pseudonym, I actually had a follow up uh, that continues a little bit on the reparations track. I'm curious. I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily see the necessary link between something like reparations and climate change. And I feel like you are probably the kind of person who is best set to articulate how these things fit together, how we have to tackle these deep issues of inequality to tackle climate change. And that if we're not doing that, we're kind of failing on some level. Could you take it away on that on that note? You see, climate change is an environmental injustice writ large. You know, there's examples of environmental racism, like coal power plants, the dumping of nuclear waste, the lack of adequate public transport. It's disproportionate Mm -hmm. harms indigenous communities and people of color. So that's like the easy thing that folk can know. And for me, the connection between climate change and racism is real because bigotry isn't based on weather. This is what AOC said it. You know, fossil fuels are dangerous. Coal, oil, gas cause health problems, asthma, cancer. All those things have to do with production, transport, and use. And greenhouse gases, you know, that affects the earth. But if you look at where we've been redlined to live, the food that we had to eat, being enslaved, all those things have followed us for 400 years. Black, brown folk and red folk haven't seemed to matter to industrial folk dumping all those cancer causing everything are all in fracking wastewater they're in our communities racism keeps us separate and industries are more likely to put their bad industry toxic stuff in our areas unfortunately that has an impact internationally too yes and i mean i see it so it, remember i talked about ending racism has intersections of all isms mm-hmm. so that's like real from zimbabwe to cyprus food storage weather patterns are changing i can share with you just a little bit i when i was a volunteer for the ghana national commission on children back in 88 when i first went to ghana from accra to Tema, where i live with my beloved Ghanaian family and mommy, rest in peace, Laura Chinabua, who hosted me, who was the chair of the Emma Commission on Children. I could not count the coconut trees on the ocean right. in 1988, but now I can count them because of the sea erosion. There's parts of Ghana mm. falling into the sea because of erosion. So being connected to Ghana 31 years, I can tell you, you know, I can just name off degradation because of climate change. And the way to be climate mm-hmm. change is to deal with racism. I believe it. Like the world now, this is the best opportunity to diminish equalities and division. We have to wake up to the fact that what we're doing in this capitalist economy and not tackling it has historical ramifications for our species. And unfortunately, a lot of people think of climate change as something that's going to happen in the future because we live in the global north. We live in the, you know, first world, whatever. But you have an international perspective that a lot of our listeners don't have. And you understand that climate change is something that's happening right now and impacting people right now. Also, speaking as a fellow agriculturalist, anybody who's involved with agriculture knows that something is wrong. Yeah, Yeah. And this is really kind of what we've been trying to hit on for the entirety of our podcast is that people think that politics and that issues are all of these neat little boxes that only contain a set number of policies and a set number of impacts. But things in reality are a lot more messy, a lot more kind of current and a a lot more holistic and interconnected. And like you're saying, in order to solve some of these bigger issues like climate change, we need to tackle racism. You know, we need to tackle everything in order to be able to solve everything else. 
And that's something we've been trying to hit on with this podcast a lot. And it's great that you that you're articulating this. Let me be real clear. Unless we link the worth of ending racism and becoming anti-racist, then climate chaos, climate catastrophe will happen. It's serious. Mm -hmm. People listening and it's urgent business. There's no way around it. I just mentioned to you that was 1988 in Ghana. Yeah. I mentioned other places. That's why that green deal is not enough. It's not enough. Green or blue, we got to deal with racism because making $60 mm-hmm. an hour working somewhere that has ramifications that are not connected to a system change won't solve any problem. It's urgent and it's serious. Get it. Climate change and racism. Yeah, we have a lot of priorities that we need to tackle just as a country, as a body. So what is the first thing that you want to do as president? What are the first things that you see as our highest priorities? Ending racism, becoming an anti-racist nation. What do you want to do as president in order to do that? Why do you need the office of presidency to, to achieve that goal? Leadership. It's all about leadership. There's an African proverb. To get lost is to learn the way. For 256 years, whatever it is, we've been lost. We have to ensure that every American is a stakeholder in the nation. We are putting together a survey of Americans because all of us weren't present. This was older landowners who made this. So no one's voice except one group was present. So this survey at America 300, we will ask every American and every person living in America what they see, want, need, and feel is important for our nation. Taking that first ever public engagement into consideration as a leader, I would analyze the data and then prioritize based on what? Ending racism, two, climate change, and then three, ecological economics. This is not told to do. So if you win this nomination, you will be part of a three-way race and the current president will be Donald Trump, you know, barring an unfortunate act of the Lord calling him home. <laughs> what do you say to people who say we cannot afford a single vote for a Green Party candidate, regardless of how much I like her, regardless of how well-intentioned she is? Because that, unless I'm a Republican who is torn between Trump Curry, creates one more vote for potentially a Republican presidency. I'm sure you hear that argument all the time. I know that's like a T-ball swing. No, I don't. No one would say that to me because I'm a mathematician. Oh, yeah? Here's the reality. (laughs) 40% of Americans don't vote. 40 plus 30, 30 equals 100. 30 Democrat, 30 Republican, 40 me. I I don't see the problem. Hey, that's a simple way to put it. You know, we've got the Electoral College, of course. What states are you running your campaign in right now? Well, here's the thing. You got to step back. Again, we are a non-corporate funded party, so we don't get the free media that the Democrats and the Republicans. So our campaign has targeted Mm. and we're using a strategic planning mechanism to expand the reach, focusing on developing a target market group, a fast growing base of support from the unlikely voters, A through Z. Non-voting Americans, number one, because that's 40 percent. Millennials, Mm-hmm. Poor and working class indebted students like myself, mass incarcerated in and out. These folk have organized and been political longer than just about anyone. We get them connected, we in. People of color, women, youth, farmers, farm workers, immigrants, citizens negatively already impacted by climate change, veterans in current military mm-hmm. service, families damaged by foster care, family court victims, water victims, service workers, seniors, religious individuals and groups that actually care about the planet, vegans, renewable energy business folks, other environmental uh, professionals, Americans who want government to actually work, slow food movement, we all want to eat healthy food, parents, grandparents, and other supportive relations, Native Americans, people for the ethical treatment of animals, and guess who last? Disillusion RNC and DNC members. Many of those folks have given up on the two established parties out of disgust and frustration. Mm-hmm. We can get that. And we're looking at voter disenfranchisement with redlining and gentrification. Our maps are in flux right now. But we feel strong that on a debate stage between Joe Biden, me in the middle, and Donald Trump, I know we're going to win. <laughs> they, they, they could not 
upstage, outstage me on, a, on that. I asked our graphics guy, can you put me on the middle of them on a meme? <laughs> <laughs> I do want to, I do want to ask you something that's on a similar note to that because I'm from Georgia. Hey! Yeah. And voter suppression is a very large issue down here. We had a woman named Stacey Abrams who ran for governor. I'm sure you were in the news. Oh, I know her. I supported her. Yeah. She founded a group called the New Georgia Project that registered hundreds of thousands of voters in the state of Georgia, mostly people of color, mostly women, mostly working class. Yes, that might the group. And she very narrowly lost. And by the way, we should also shout out her co-founder, Nse Ufa. Yay! Yeah, and she very narrowly was defeated by our current governor, uh, Mr. Kemp, and there were some very shady tactics. I was on it, boo. I, if you see my Facebook page, she like my best friend, mm-hmm. you would think. <laughs> so given that, as president, like, what do you want to do in terms of the presidency, the Supreme Court, Congress, to restore people's voting rights of all Americans, all shades, all colors, all ages, so that their voices can be heard? Because that's one of the things that I think demotivates people to go out to these polls and stand in line in the rain uh, to have their voices heard because somebody just throws their vote out or it gets deleted. See, y'all, I'm telling you, I'm a math person. So here, here's the thing. A month before the election, I'm going to ask everybody who's voting for me and whoever the vice president is to let me know that you're voting for me ahead of time. So we're going to have you locked and loaded. So we're going to know where we are. And if we see any disparities between that, what people said, sign an affidavit, send a pledge, then, you know, it's on. I ain't going to be gorbo. Boo is in the streets, okay? (laughs) Yeah, nah, they ain't gonna look. They ain't never seen angry black women mad, have they? Like this. Do you hear me? It ain't gonna happen. This is the thing about powerful people. Look what happened in South Africa. Look at everywhere historically. When folks with money see that they need to give, they will. We are gonna be going to all the 58 families that give the most money to DNC and RAC. Hey, uh, it's me, the future president. Let me tell you now, it ain't gonna happen. Boom, it's over. So you get your ducks in a row, because we got elephants, not ducks, baby. We got elephants, not ducks. Let's get real. This is an elephant and a rhino. Oh, remember me? I went to a non, a revolutionary government at 26 years old. Was no democracy. People, all we need is leadership, a good servant understanding, and management. Bet they move, all 58 of them families, because everybody working for them is like me and you and, and brothers. They need us. Pablo Freire, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. It's over. That's another book that we're going to be linking to in our show notes after this, so everybody will know to read that and pick it up. It's really that simple. It's over. I'm going to bring the military home. Y'all come on. Come back. We got to reorganize our whole country. We got to plant trees. Mm -hmm. We got to learn to get along. Everybody need a DNA test. All them folks cutting up on a Maury show. When they get their DNA test back from birth, you got to have a DNA test now. So all this mess, this y'all crazy. It's enough of this foolishness. You got to know you're you're from one of the 15 tribes of Europe. And most likely you have Akibulan, our native blood. I have European blood, very small percent, but I'm not going to be mad at Europe. We have to love, Mm -hmm. forgive each other and move forward. Well said. Yeah, so obviously, like, you've got your force of personality. Everybody who is going to be following in your footsteps, like, five years from now, 10 years from now, might share your ideals and might share your commitment, but might not have your force of personality. So, one, I do want you to touch on the structural changes that you're going to make to this government so that people who might not be you but want to do the work that you are out here doing can feel confident that their vote counts and to run for higher office later on down the line. Listen, unless... I create other leaders, then I failed. Unless I create other leaders, then I fail. Here's the thing, and this is Mm -hmm. really important, and it comes back to the Green Party. Our campaign is asking, we've mounted and spearheaded many successful campaigns of building our party by getting folks to run local and state so that we have a basis for races in the future. The second thing is that unless we give people governing experiences at local and state level, unless we create training programs and institute to train folks to lead, then our campaign is useless. 
The first thing we want folks to do is to run for office, learn too. You know, if you don't want to run, then you support and volunteer in your state and local Green Party and work on local committees and donate to our campaign so that we can train. I've just set up uh, I think about two weeks ago, the Shirley Chisholm Institute for People of Color. If we do not train folks to go beyond me, then why, what's the purpose of me running? I would have failed. I Look, I only want to be in there four years and whoever the vice president is, I'll be their vice president. I'm co-presidency. I mean, I want to go and live in Ghana, go and live somewhere here in California, drinking, you know, making grapes and wine. I don't know if y'all know that I'm the co-founder of the Jiva Institute of Interculture and Etiology. I want to retire. I'm oh. quitting after four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's be real clear. This ain't no lifetime commitment. For <laughs> I'm doing it four years. And whoever is the VP, bam, I'm there. I'm out. If somebody's watching this and they're like very charged up, I mean, we're charged up, so they're probably charged up too. What kind of stuff do they need to do as of right this moment to help you take a grip on both the Green Party's future and the future of the American left? What do they need to do in terms of where their browser goes, where they're tweeting, all that other stuff? This is really simple. Go to Facebook Pseudonym 2020. Sign up to be on our Facebook page. Two, donate. There's a link there. Donate. And then three, you can look at what we're doing and say which one of these five, because it's five things we're doing. Ballot access, policy framework. I talked to you about the ecological economics, fundraising, because in order to qualify for matching funds, we got to raise money. And we're what we're doing in that fundraising is doing Green Party anniversaries of each of the 50 states, looking to bring all six candidates to each place. The fourth thing we're doing is planning a strategic, and I mentioned that, strategic planning mechanism to expand the party's outreach, focusing in on those A through Z groups I mentioned. And the fifth thing is outreach. We have a list, mm-hmm. 400th commemoration of the year of the return. Of course, I mentioned reparations, HR 40, get the 116th Congress to commission a study. We're all for that. Black Caucus, supporting the Black Caucus monthly presidential debates and recognizing that Global Greens are the only party nationwide, internationally connected to ecological understanding. America at 300 doing a survey workshop and a panel and the left can win monthly online green system change roundtables to figure out what we all can agree on and work on those things as a left. And, you know, left is racist. So doing that anti-racist work and also Green Party media monthly roundtables. We asked for this starting in April because they were excluding me and other Greens and giving Howie Hawkins a full ride. It's happened four different times. So media exclusion. And here's my my big one. Read and commit to being anti-racist based on Ibrahim Kendi's book. We believe that the Green Party is should be the anti-racist political party in America and globally. So we want to end white privilege and all isms by 2026 and make our global Global Party start having the White Privilege Conference. We co-sponsor that for the Greens. Many people, you know, realize that racism has to be understood, like you mentioned earlier, Brother Kennedy. And it's really important, as I've shared already. And, you know, again, I think that diversity of opinion is two ways. It's important to have different views and we'll be critical about that, but also have membership and having a culture where we can express and celebrate our differences. I can say as someone who's Abrahamic, being a green has humbled me and made me more tolerant and accepting of sexual preferences. Being raised the way I was, Hmm. I... I, you know, I didn't know anybody personally. I had a feeling about one or two people, but, you know, being non-judgmental was the way I was raised. I used to be angry at my parents because they didn't tell me, you know, about racism. But I'm, I later apologized to them and told them, I'm so grateful you didn't because I didn't make any judgments about anyone. And I've worked to be anti-racist and examine myself. And being anti-racist means I cannot discriminate against LBTQ. I can't discriminate against anybody, class. And I shared with you, that was the biggest, the, the privilege thing. I didn't even understand privilege. And here I am, Miss Ghana all the way. But I was referring to Ghana as a third world country, not a country mm. that has been ripped 
by colonialism and imperialism. So mm-hmm. our, everybody, you know, I and I shared, I was on a call with the PCSC about two weeks ago. And I told them, I know this is hard because myself, I had to deconstruct my language to be anti-racist. So I have patience with other people, but we cannot pretend we don't need help. So our campaign is poised to do that. And I, I don't have any level of uncomfortableness with ensuring that the Green Party browns none. So our diversity can be expressed and celebrated. Like, listen, we started off like with a list of questions and you have such a depth of thought that when we started to go, oh, we should ask a follow up about such and such. You ask your own follow up questions because you like to go to very straight to the root of Mm -hmm. of issues that are being discussed, which is something we like a lot on this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been fantastic having you. So grateful. Absolutely. Yeah. Sudanet, you've been an incredible guest. This has been a just a wonderful interview. Thank you so much. Awesome. Don't forget, Sudanam 2020, go to my Facebook page. Be ready to work. If you're not ready to work, don't join me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll link the Facebook page in the show notes if anybody's interested. Yes. I wanted to share that we have some clear goals. We get a thousand people communicating and connecting on Facebook. Then we branch out because it means we have maybe X number of people in each state that are willing to have the conversation, the dialogue and do the work. I don't think the majority of people understand that websites are really not the place to start building a community. Like yesterday, we had our first meeting of We Can Work It Out, Green Party in U.S., where we're talking about ending privilege talking about those major issues that we brought up. Then we're going to be looking at a movie and next in a few weeks, kill the messenger. So unless we all have, like you said, an understanding of where we're doing and why, and I believe in books and videos. So when you grasp it and we're able to have this exchange, then you're welcome to join us and move forward. But if you just rah-rah, hell, I don't need no cheerleader. I'm my own cheerleader. Mm -mm. We need people who are committed to grow. So if you are committed, you, you know where to go. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. We, we sat up here and chopped it up for like an hour. Um, we got a oh, whole lot of really? Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. Hey, put my logo mm-hmm. up. I can't figure out how to put my logo <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired, y'all. I'm all here. Thank you both. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're welcome no to problem. the White House. Can I sing my last song? Yeah, I know you got a song. Let's ride yeah. let's, let's yeah. out on it. Paint the White House green, won't you help me to paint the White House green? Sudanam 2020. Woo! I'm I'm charged up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Kennedy Cooper and Leia Rose, this is Brandon Buchanan. Our show is not safe for wonks, and our guest, Sudanam Moyo Asipe Curry. Bam! She's a free black woman. It's a cool thing. We need more of them. Whoa. So thank y'all for listening, and we're signing out. Peace out. Much love. Not war.